Hello, and welcome to DoxaCast. My name is Daniel Silver, and joining me today... Gloria Purvis. Gloria, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your background? Well, I'm a Southerner. I was born in Charleston, South Carolina, and then got a little crazy and decided I had to run off to some Ivy League school in the middle of nowhere, so I went to Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. Then I've lived around different parts of the country, finally settling here in D.C., in the D.C. area where I got married. Well, I got married in South Carolina, of course, where it's beautiful, and then came up here <laughs> to live with my husband. And um, I, uh, I do a morning radio show for EWTN called Morning Glory. I also did a television series for EWTN called Authentically Free at Last, which dealt with the modern challenges to an understanding of authentic freedom. Um, I've done a lot of media Although that's not my background, my background was mortgage financial risk management, but um, through the Lord's calling me and me saying yes and my willing to talk about, you know, the issues of um, human sexuality, women's issues, all those things um, from a Catholic perspective, um, just all these opportunities came about. And uh, so I also go around the country and speak at various conferences on, you know, those topics of uh, challenges to modern, our modern understanding of authentic freedom. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Mm-hmm. Uh, today we're going to be discussing uh, Black Panther. Mm, yes. <laughs> yes. Say it again. <laughs> Black Panther. I, I, I really love this movie. I think it's one of Marvel's stronger films to date, actually. Uh-huh. Um, do you want to give us a quick overview of the plot for anybody who hasn't seen it? So if you haven't seen it, get there fast, because it not only is good storytelling, but it's such a visual feast. But basically... What um, Black Panther really is a follow-on from one of the previous Avenger movies where you're now following up with what happens with T'Challa, who was the heir to the throne in Wakanda. His father is T'Chaka, and we saw in a previous movie that his father was killed during an attack at the United Nations. And so this follows T'Challa going home and now um, basically taking on and becoming the leader of Wakanda, or so we think. You have to watch the movie and see. There are a lot of challenges, and you are, this is the first time, you know, that the Marvel Universe has, has shown Wakanda on film, which is interesting to see, and you learn about their culture, their ways, and what makes Wakanda special. I hope that was a good summation. You added more if you want, Daniel. <laughs> That's good. I think that covers it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, one of the things that we hear a lot about Wakanda is that it's kind of this utopian, mm-hmm. um, neither pre- nor post-colonialism because it just never happened there. (laughs) Well, let me just say this. I think what you see in Wakanda um, is, although you do have that that one tribe, this spoilers everybody, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm going to be giving you spoilers in order to talk about this. And so, you know, but I'm telling you, even if you go see it, the visual feast and the plot and everything is just so worth it. So you have these tribes, right, that um, live there in Wakanda and they have access to this vibranium. And you don't see warring currently in the tribe for the vibranium. Remember they were warring before in the beginning and then the Black Panther ate that special plant that made him like the super uber warrior that basically was like, I'm gonna beat all y'all down if you don't come together for peace. And so now you have all the Wakandas living in peace except for the Jabari tribe, remember? Yeah, the Jabari tribe, yeah, had gone off um, after that event. And it's kind of interesting that the, to look into kind of that post-scarcity world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it was so, okay, so then they have all this abundance because of the, the vibranium. And they seem to be living in peace and uh, fully in their culture, but yet still developing 
having advanced technology and things like that, but yet living in peace, you see obviously uh, a certain equality of with the women and the men, not without it. It doesn't even have like that, we're better than you, or we gotta do this because men do it. It just is. You just see men and women living together and, and succeeding and women being in roles that typically people wouldn't associate as a female role, but it doesn't seem to be any kind of um, challenge to the men. They're all very comfortable in their masculinity. The women are comfort, uh, comfortable in their femininity, although according to our standards might not be expressed in the most traditional ways. But um, I just thought that was an interesting talk, take on the sexes too, actually. Yeah, I really like that. And um, you know, I think the, the sister character, Sherry, I, I think she is such an interesting character because she is both you know, a female in a role that, that some people might say is more of a male role, yeah. but then she's also kind of that at the forefront of that even if it works, we can make it better that yes. drives the Wakanda tribe to, to yeah. do more. And, and she's a teenager. I think that's the other thing, too. She's a teenage girl, and she's uh, brilliant, but she's always like, you know, just because it works doesn't mean we can't improve it. And then that's when you start to discover all these um, advancements within Wakandan culture and technology. And um, I think the utopia aspect of it is you don't see this fighting in and of among them. You know, whenever you see, uh, uh, like when they're among the common people, it's just people going about their business, buying, eating, selling, talking, uh, dancing. I remember seeing this guy with glasses, and I was like, oh, yeah, how often do you necessarily think, you know, when it's supposedly a poor nation, you see people obviously with advanced health care and able to take care of people with eyesight problems or whatever. But I, um, I just thought how everyone got along, and I also loved that they held on to their traditions. Yeah, I think it was really interesting for me. One of the first things you see is you see all the different tribes coming together yeah. for, to the at the waterfall for the fight for succession, yeah. mm-hmm. and you can see each different kind of tribe has their own uh, culture, yeah. their own style of dress, mm-hmm. and 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 I think it's really interesting that they've managed to kind of bring everyone together and may, and, and have a unite unity while still maintaining their diversity. They're right. There's no ethnic tribalism you know what I mean it's all these different it's these different tribes that they all are Wakandan right and um, I know there was one with the river tribe I think that was Nakia's people and I just thought, so I was like noticing that I was like oh yeah and even the dress the style of dress for the tribes were very different you had the border tribe that guarded the border of Wakanda but yet they all came together and they're like we're Wakandan and they respected their uh, traditions and women also had roles, older women had roles on the council. Um, I remember that as well. So it was, and it wasn't even like, oh, let's make a big deal of it. It just is. We just saw how they operated, and it wasn't like, oh, wasn't this fancy or special? No, they just were like, this is Wakanda, and we don't need to emphasize that women of all ages are integrated in the society and even in what we would consider positions of leadership equal to the men without you know, any dismissing of the women or anything like that. That's true. I mean, one of my favorite, one of my other favorite characters, of course, is the the general of the oh, Okoye. Okoye, yeah, loved her. Yeah, and Dana Guerrera, such an excellent actress. Um, I I totally appreciated her in that. For those who have watched The Walking Dead, she plays Michonne, but you don't even think of Michonne when you see her in this role. Um, Okoye was awesome. What I liked about her as well is this: she was a general, number one. And the seriousness she took with her responsibilities and 
Um, and we saw a little bit of that struggle with that too. Like she wasn't like the emotional woman that broke down. She was like, okay, things are tough, but I this is my responsibility. And I and she had a temptation. She could have been tempted to run away at some point, but she's like, uh, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. And she didn't try. She had some honesty about her because she didn't try to break the rules during the fight for succession. She didn't do that. Yeah, because they, you know, they, they assumed she was just going to come with them, and she's like, well, no, you know, we went through a legitimate <laughs> yeah. change of leadership, and I have to serve the leader. I'm not, I'm not beholden to uh, T'Challa specifically. I'm yeah. beholden to Wakanda. Yeah, I'm beholden to Wakanda, and we saw that, and we even saw how that affected her love relationship with... Um, I'm drawing a blank on his name. I could see his face. He was um, the border tribe. But anyway, oh, Wakabi, yeah. Wakabi. We saw that with Wakabi. I mean, just some, I don't want to give away too much. So I don't know how much, you know, how many spoilers we can have on the podcast. You you tell me yay or nay. I, I, I think we go for it. I think it, okay. if, if you're so listening you've been to this. Warned, people. Yeah. <laughs> you've been warned. Don't get upset. We're going to just talk flat out, you know, about the movie. That to me was super cool when you saw that he you know, was the one that, in, in essence, kind of, be, well, I won't say kind of, he betrayed T'Challa. He did. Um, he betrayed him. And he was, this was his homeboy. I mean, he betrayed him, but at the same time, I, I think T'Challa betrayed him at first, too. Mm. Well, how do, you, how do you figure? Well, because, you know, he, he told him that he would go out and get Claw, that if he had a chance, he was going to kill him. Yeah. And he didn't take that. Well, re- I thought it was, like, so circumstantial, because, remember, he had Claw, and he, uh, Claw was like, oh, King, don't kill me. And then you see, of course, social media, all the people with their cameras out. And it was either Okoye or Nakia said something to him like, the world is watching you. And there was supposed to be, when he said to him, "Um, every breath you take is mercy from me, you know, and he didn't kill him at that point. I sort of felt like, again, it was Wakanda to preserve Wakanda is why he didn't do what he said he would do to the to for his friend Wakabi. But um, so I felt like that was kind of circumstantial. But I get what you're saying when they did have him later on, you know, and he got busted out. I mean, come on now. I, I mean, maybe. I, I, I'm just saying I, I can sympathize with Wakabi a little bit. Well, Wakabi is like, look, you just like your daddy. 30 years and you ain't done nothing. And this Joker came up in here and killed my parents. And I thought you'd be different. I mean, that's, you know, he was more like, you know, the person who did, you know, um, enact justice, I guess if you want to say it like that, was this guy who actually happens to also be a long-lost Wakandan. He had the war dogs, is that what they call it? Yeah, the war dog tag on the, t- on the, the entire war dog time. tag yeah. inside his lip. And lip. Um, um, it was, I mean, it was just like, oh, wow. You know, it was a, it was an interesting point. But I did notice that Okoye um, stayed loyal to um, T'Challa. She even was, you know, she did what she was supposed to do under Killmonger because he was the king. But when it was discovered that the battle for succession never really completed. She was like, all right, we're back in business. We can go with T'Challa. Yeah, she was a very, very honorable character. She was very honorable, and I also, I don't know if you have any black female listeners, but they should probably pick up on this, which I also tended to love. There was a scene right before they went into the club, uh, the gambling place in Korea, where she has this wig on her head. And... um, And she's looking all, like, very uncomfortable. And Nakia says to her, you look great. And she's like, this is disgraceful. And this is a very big thing for black women, the whole natural hair movement and, you know, not, you know, buying and wearing wigs. And so for her to sort of make this 
statement, which was, you know, I know every black woman that's ever seen this movie totally got it. She was saying, you know, you are beautiful as God made you. You don't need all this artifice that is clearly not the hair growing out of your head to be you. And it was just something that I was like, oh my gosh, a shout out for natural hair on black women was amazing. And it's true. I thought she looked crazy with that wig on her head. And she looked much better when she tore it off. And even though she had a nearly bald head, she was still feminine, still attractive, and still very much also heterosexual. You know what I mean? Yeah, there there was just a lot of representation in in that movie, I think. I think, well, and that's the one thing that I would say that I found very positive about Wakanda is it didn't... um, you saw the importance of mothers and fathers in the child's life. You saw what happened to Killmonger when he had that deprivation of not having a father. We never knew where his mother was. Um, we saw what happened to him. And then you see T'Challa having both his mother and his father. And his father saying, you know, a man hasn't been a, you know, you failed if you haven't prepared your children for your death. And you saw this sort of I don't know, it just it made my heart sing, actually, to see such a positive portrayal of men, particularly black men, on the big screen, and their sons, and the fact that there was marriage. I mean, I was like, the family mattered. And it was a very subtle thing. But you notice that, and that's also what sort of drove uh, Wakabi to be upset. He's like, my parents were murdered by, by um, Claw. And I thought, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. Um, to get a little more into um, kind of Killmonger and his father, like, mm. you know, we, we talk about Wakanda being this kind of utopia, this perfect place, but there's obviously something a little dark underneath the surface. Yeah, well, it's okay, so they're advanced, by their vibranium, okay? So it's like, I, I, my husband and I were talking about it, we were like, isn't that like sort of a, you know, the struggle for like a soul, like the vibranium's your soul in the sense that you know, how do you use what you have for good? You know, and, and actually, it even kind of talks about today, how do you have advanced technology and how do you use it appropriately? How do you use it for good? For us as Catholics, we've seen some abuses of what we consider technologies that would be helping the human person tend to um, really diminish the dignity and respect we would have for the human person. And so Wakanda sort of has that same struggle. How do we use our technology for good? And that's where you had T'Chaka and his brother having this sort of disagreement. T'Chaka's brother, Killmonger's father, having seen the oppression, the abuse, communities flooded with drugs, as he said, the police killing them. He's like, we've got to help these people. They are helpless against an unjust system. And so that motivated him in one way. And T'Chaka was like, you cannot, we cannot reveal. That puts our whole society at risk. So it was, it was... It was a good tension there. It was really good tension, and I, I, I think it's kind of interesting because I think T'Chaka, what, his argument was almost, we can't become the new colonizers, we can't become the new like imperialists. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that was an interesting argument, I think. Yeah. I, you know, well, it's interesting because it was like, they didn't bother to think, but could we do something and do it in another way? And we saw Nakia say that once when she was talking to T'Challa. T'Challa, she was like, we could do it, and we could do it better, I love in her African way, which was, um, I could see the actress right now, Lupita Nyong'o, and I thought it was so, so wonderful that she was like, okay, we don't have to do either, or we'll do it the Wakandan way, we could do it better, and we could help people, which we saw her do 
in the beginning when she embedded herself among these girls that were kidnapped. Yeah, and and I, I mean, clearly an homage to you know the kidnapping of the girls that takes place. Yeah, stuff, and yeah. so uh, I thought it was just such a timely. Uh, Reference. Wasn't it great? I mean, they had these little uh, references in there that you're like, oh, gosh, yeah, I can pick up on those things that I thought was was really, really helpful. And I also think for Denai Guerrera, she was a large part in, of this whole Bring Our Girls Back movement. So I also thought it was interesting that Okoye jumped in and saved, you know, them both sort of at the last minute, unexpectedly, you know. She jumps in. I'm, you know, I'm hoping you've seen the movie because that was a big, you know, surprise there in the movie as well. Yeah, it was really great. And... Uh, from that scene too, I, I I loved the idea. You know, we can talk a little about redemption in this mm -hmm, movie, mm -hmm. but in that movie, you know, there was the redemption of that one child soldier. Yes. Um, and that was just such an amazing. Well, part. wasn't that a deep thing? Because you just assume they're all bad guys, right? And they, and you know, he deserves to die. And she says, "No, he was kidnapped just like the rest of them." And it sort of lets you see that things sometimes can be a little bit more complicated. It's not always just the good guys versus the bad guys. It's some of these people who were doing bad were doing so under compulsion you know what I mean and um, and I also wonder if that's why he also hesitated to shoot because he didn't shoot right away when he had the gun up he just would he didn't shoot and Nakia saved him yeah. it's like no he's just like and no one if you notice no one at that moment said well he chose his side and we need the exact justice they were like send the boy back to his family and his tribe which again to me talks about being with your family, being with your mother and father, has such a has a positive influence on a child. A child separated, put in these things, whatever. It's just another the importance of mothers and fathers. I yeah, think. and I think I think it's a really interesting moment where we see what could have been with yeah. Eric Killmonger. Oh and, yeah, and because that that boy was Eric Killmonger oh. at that point. Oh yeah, well, and and he just and he wasn't given that same chance. Well, we figured how hard his life must have been when you contrast the scenes of T'Challa going back for the first time and seeing his father in the spirit world, T'Chaka, and then Killmonger going back to see his father. And it's interesting that you figure that his father didn't end up back with the other Wakandans because he was in that place in, was it Compton? Well, some place, it was either Compton or Long Beach, I can't remember, someplace in California still in that apartment where he died, right? And he says, oh, what, no tears for me? Remember that? Yeah. And his son was like, mm, everybody around here dies. That's just the way it is. Yet you see T'Challa crying when he sees his father, you know, and wanting to be with him and just like, I'm not ready. So there was something so very touching even there between the father-son relationships. And you see how this child who's been abandoned, who had such a terrible loss at an early age, um, was hard. You know, he's like, just, just the world, how the world is, it just ain't fair. And I know I'm talking a lot, but let me just say this. I also thought it was amazing how the Wakandans were horrified that they left Killmonger by himself. That you left a child, you did not bring him back, knowing that he did not have a father? I mean, it says a lot about their culture and the importance on family and children and it was just a little, little subtle things like that. And and to me, I think that Wakabi would um, empathize with that a lot because what happened to him is his parents were died, and then he Very was brought point. in to another uh, family. Yeah, that's a good point. And and Eric Kilmonger didn't have that, and so we we, oh, we, we see all these characters of what 
Killmonger could have been. Yeah. If if he had been brought back, I mean, he and Wakabi, you know, could have been there together. Yeah. Like he and T'Challa could have been grown up together. Th- there were so many opportunities for them to have a happy ending, and they failed at so many points. In well, this. you know, I will say as a Christian, um, looking at you know, I was a part of. Um, you know, talking about the redefinition of marriage and the problems with it from a Christian perspective. And to me, one of the things that I first pointed out is that it is a purposeful deprivation of either a mother or a father for the child. And so as I was watching this movie, I kept thinking fathers are not disposable. Fathers are not replaceable. Um, and mothers, you know, we still saw the mothers already had an influence for T'Challa. But it just, again, from a Christian perspective, just made me think about God made us male and female for a reason and made us together in the sacrament of marriage for the benefit of rearing our children who benefit by having both of us, you know, both mothers and fathers present. Now, I'm not trying to make anybody out there feel bad if they didn't have both their mother and father present in life. I mean, things happen, you know, but I'm talking about the purposeful deprivation. I'm not even talking about a divorce where the father and mother still know each other. I'm talking about a purposeful deprivation where a child is taken into a, a, a purposely by a couple where they're the same sex and the child will never know either the mother or the father. That's a different kind of thing than just accidental things of life sort of stuff. And, and you know, I think we see that in, in Killmonger's relationships with other people. I mean, you know, it, it's very transactional. It's yes. very shallow you know you you see he has this uh, the significant other yeah and he just tosses her away at it was crazy and it, i yeah go ahead go well ahead. i well for me i i was like oh this is an interesting romance like yeah. you, you you they made it seem like she was important to him uh-huh. and then as soon as it, it became convenient he discarded like oh not okay y'all you being nice he straight up killed her he straight girl. killed her yeah. he just straight up like shot her bye babe he didn't even say goodbye he didn't even say i love you she was like sorry and he shot her and um, I think even Claw was like, dog, I thought I had her as as collateral, you know, that I could, you know, get my way out of here alive. And and I, I think that's what Killmonger wanted Claw to think. I think that was yeah. the whole reason for having her was Ooh. to, was so that Claw would be like, oh, I, you know, if something goes down, I can d- oh, target her. And Killmonger was like, nope. Which shows you, well, I hadn't even missed that. You're right. The Killmonger had a strategy and he had a goal and everybody was disposable until he got to that throne in Wakanda and also I thought it was a bit of a um, sort of like a yeah this is what our US government does <laughs> you know when the guy from the CIA was he from the CIA yeah he was from the CIA he's yeah he, he's from past he's from yeah, past, past Marvel film right. yeah but when um, he jumped in he's like oh he's one of ours yeah he's an American and yeah that's what we do we teach him to j- go into these uh, countries during uh, transitions of power basically destabilize and burn down everything and I was like oh wow okay Interesting. I mean, it was. Like I mean, it's such a it's such an interesting commentary. I mean, uh, it, it's 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 hard to believe that such a mainstream movie would just be so down on the CIA oh, and yeah. U.S. like foreign policy <laughs> like that. Um, but it was wild. It, it's pretty dark. Yeah. Well, and also in a way, uh, Killmonger though was voicing a lot of the things that you hear now, right? In, um, in terms of uh, justice, rights, empowerment. And so it was interesting that the villain, probably for a lot of Americans, was somebody like, gee, I sound like him sometimes. But in the movie, he was the villain. So you got to see things from a different perspective, which I also thought was pretty um, interesting. Yeah. Uh, to talk a little bit about kind of the ending oh, with the yeah. fight with them. Like, and, and some of my friends have said that 
they're like really upset kind of that Killmonger didn't get a redemption. What do they mean by redemption? At, mean? Well, that's the thing. Like, the, I, I guess they they think he didn't realize that what he was doing was wrong. Like, he he died thinking that he was doing right. I mean, he said he said, "I don't want to go to a prison. You know, bury me in the sea with my with my yeah, ancestors." Oh, that part. Um, Who knew death was better than bondage? Yeah, re- referencing to the um, enslaved Africans that jumped off the slave ships on the way to. Uh, the Caribbean and the Americas. I mean, that actually, if I can tell you, just among a lot of black people that I spoke to, that, I mean, I'm getting chills as I think about it now because it's such a, um, I don't want to say a defiant, but it's such a freedom is better than bondage. Death is also not the end. Obviously, he didn't fear death, and um, he was so convinced that what he did uh, was the right way and the only way that his oppressed brothers and sisters in the world would be free that he saw himself as, okay, this is, I was fully prepared that this is how it could end. And, but you notice he was not angry with T'Challa. He was like, you know, when he, even the kill move, the T'Challa, he says, that was a heck of a move. You know, I'm cleaning it up because it's a Christian podcast. It's a heck of a move, you know? And it, you know, there was still that brotherhood at the end. I mean, he got a redemption in the sense of being, to see that, to see that Wakandan sunset to be um, a part of Wakanda for that moment, and even for T'Challa to say to him, we still might be able to heal you. You know, we still might be able to heal you, meaning you're not, I don't want to see you die. You're not like my enemy of all enemies where I don't want you to have life, you know? So, yeah, so I think there was a redemption in the sense that their interaction ended better yes. than their father's interactions yes. ended. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I think that was good. And, and in a sense, you know, Killmonger won in a certain way. He, he changed the, the mind of T'Challa. He changed what's going to happen in the future. Uh, true. He's still going to help people, just not the Eric Killmonger way. Yeah. Which another thing I thought was interesting from a Christian perspective is the, the unity of humanity. They were all brothers and sisters. And that's one of the messages. If you sh- Oh, by the way, stay through all the credits, and then after that first scene, stay again, because there's going to be even more at the end that was totally awesome. And, um, yeah, so I thought that was beautiful. Some people thought it was an anti-Donald Trump thing, but I didn't receive it that way. I thought it was more like, look, we they even had the discussion about their own borders, him and Wakabi. Um, and so it was this understanding through all they had been through that, you know, we do have a responsibility to help the world. And, um, and use our advanced technology for the betterment of the human person, not to dominate, but to, for the betterment of the human person. You know, I, I actually think, when I think of Killmonger's sacrifice, um, he seems more like a prototype of like the, the martyrs where, you know, where, where their sacrifice yeah. inspired others. Yes, and yes. So, and so I think he got somewhat of a redemption, mm-hmm. even, if, even if he didn't like personally understand. Right that in the end, people are going to get help, and uh, the, the, the oppressed and the downtrodden were still going to get help, but it was the help was going to come not in the form of dominating the people who oppressed them, but to liberate them in other ways, through resources, through education. I mean, it, it really leaves a lot for us to think about, you know, um, which is, you know, some of the things that we, we struggle with now, like how do we help uh, the world? How do we best use our resources and our Advancements to help the rest of the world. Can we, can we do that? Must we always, must we dominate? Must we tell them here's the aid and here's all this attached to it that still might conflict with your own values and things like that, which we see in Africa now. Um, I have a good friend that talks about the neo, 
colonization in Africa, how the Western governments tie abortion and things like that to aid in Africa. And she said to me, her one of her favorite lines in the movie was when they said, Wakanda does not receive any outside aid. And um, she said that made her quite happy. And this is as a woman who is African herself. So, I mean, it's, it, the movie leaves a lot for us to think about, for us to ponder, for us to look at anger. How do you process it? How do you process injustice? Um, and is there, you know, I mean, the guy had a terrible, hard life, and then he did some terrible, hard things for the U.S. government. He was also very smart. We knew he went to MIT, finished at 19. He was, he was brilliant. Yeah, he was brilliant. Just like a Wakandan would be, right? Yeah. Just like a Wakandan, even though he didn't grow up in their culture, he was brilliant and um, physically gifted as well, as we saw an ex exceptional warrior, fearless. We saw all the, all the kills he had with all those things on his body, which I was like, yikes, how many people did you kill? Yeah, you know? it sounds like he killed a lot. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think, again, we can see what he could have become. And, yeah. and, and I think there's a certain sadness in that. And I think, you know, as, as Christians, um, I think one of the things that we do at Doxicon is, is looking at all of these different genres like science fiction and fantasy and seeing what they can become and how they can inspire us. And Well, I also think it showed how once he did get there, the power corrupted him even mm. more. Because remember when he basically burned all their flowers, he didn't care a bit about their um, traditions. And he even grabbed that woman by her throat. He was like, when I say something, you better do it. I mean, he was... He was brutal himself, really. Even when he got where he wanted to be, he was still, uh, you know, to do that to a woman uh, and to burn up all their, all their, you know, anything for the next king. He just was, yeah, he, he, he had some, I mean, he, his way of ruling was not the Wakandan way at all. No, and I, th I think it shows that, like, you know, even if we, when we grasp after power, even if we get that power, it, it often doesn't actually fill what we actually need. Never satisfied. Like he, he, he needed those relationships that he was using as tools. He, he, and instead of realizing them for the the ends that they were, he, right. he, he was using, or for the, the ends, he was using them as means. Yes, yes, and, and you did see a lot of the, the ends justify the means, which is why he's able to kill people. Why, I'm not sure if they even killed that woman in the beginning in the museum. When she drank her coffee, um, I don't know if they if she died or. I don't what. think she died. You don't think she died? Okay. But he. But I mean, yeah, I don't think he died. You don't think she died? Uh, well, I also thought that was interesting. Um, that he was like, yeah, y'all were watching me. He he also was like, I know they're gonna see me as some kind of criminal type because I'm a young black man in here, and he used that again to his advantage to have them all looking at him, so she wouldn't. And he was like, yeah, okay, yeah, show me all this stuff. And security would be in certain places because they'd all be close to him. So when his homeboys came in, they were like, okay, all security's going to be around you, so this is going to be easy. So it also had some statements about, subtle statements about the dignity of the human person. Um, and he didn't expect to be respected or receive that dignity, and so he used it to, again, act in a way that did not respect any other human person. Yeah, and I mean, and, and he's, he's just given up unexpecting dignity at that point. Bro, he's a bro. He was broken. He was broken from a probably a real hard life experience and then also then being basically on an assassin squad <laughs> for the US government. I mean, it was all, all the only goal is the end of whatever the mission is, right? And you've achieved that goal by any means necessary. Yeah.
Um, well, to wrap it up, um, you know, I, I, I love that scene at the end where they come back to the neighborhood and you see these yeah. kids again and just the, the way that they're looking up to T'Challa um, and Sherry and just like, you know, like, oh, this is actually yours? Like, I oh, know. my word. It, I mean, it was... It, it was it was so wonderful, and also we got to know them that they were going to be doing education in the community, and Nakia was going to be a part of that as well. Because I was like, he's like, I think I figured out a way you can do your mission. So Nakia is going to be in there. Um, Shuri's going to start the to educate the kids there and sh- expose them, you know, and also I think serve as role models as well. And I thought that was very that was very positive, and also had a little bit of humor in it. You know, when you said you're going to bring me to California, I thought you were going to take me to Disneyland or Coachella. You know, <laughs> it's like you remember that. I do. You know, it was so. It was. It was. And also, you always saw that like brother sisterly love and playfulness between the two of them, and the care and concern they had for each other as well. Um, I, you know, it's just so many things swirling in my mind about this movie that I wish I had had the presence of mind to like you know document it all so I could come in here with a clear clean list, but. You know, just to talk about it, you know, conversationally, you know, is, is um, good, too. But I'll be thinking about it more tonight and probably over the next few days again. Well, let me know if you think of anything new. <laughs> That'll be dangerous. I have crazy thoughts all the time. But, um, no, this, I would say go see it. If you haven't seen it, if you've already seen it, go see it again. I've, I saw it three times. Oh. Uh, and I saw it the opening night. And then that same week I saw it two more times because all my girlfriends were like, can you go see it with me? And so one other girlfriend hasn't seen it yet. She's like, can you go see it with me? Okay, yeah, go see it that fourth time then. I was just like, I had to make you wait till it comes out on DVD because you didn't go that first <laughs> <laughs> But did you, I mean. I saw it on opening night. Um, I, have, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it a second time. I need to go see it a second time. Well, you know, I, I it was just such a vis- visual feast that didn't have anything sexually, you know, pornographic, which I was like, this is good storytelling, where you don't have to show a bunch of flesh and nudity and, you know, things like that. You just, on the strength of the story, you got, you kept people, you know, people's attention from the very beginning. It, it was it was really good, and, and I think that, um, and, and I mean, and you even had a love interest without any of that, of that yeah. things, and I mean, you had several ones, I mean, yeah. and, and I think it was just a really powerful movie and I, I think I'm, I'm hoping it serves as kind of an example of the next wave of Marvel films. Oh my gosh that would be great and one small tidbit I learned that the old the guy that played T'Chaka the elderly T'Chaka and the guy that played the young T'Chaka are father and son. No. Yeah that's oh, what I wow. heard that, that, that they were father and son I hope I don't have that wrong but I had read that somewhere and I was like what that that's is so, so cool. meaningful. And then also on set how they all, like, in between breaks, would give testimony to God mm. about how God brought them here and how, what God had done in their lives. So I, I thought behind the scenes hearing that it also had among the actors praising God and giving thanks openly yeah. was quite refreshing to hear. I know, I know Latita Wright, um, who played Shuri, has been really open about that on social about media Christianity. And, and Christianity, and mm-hmm. that, that's so great. Especially in Hollywood. We need it. We yeah, need that there. we really do. Yeah. Daniel, oh, this was great. Thank you so much for letting me come and blab on. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> yeah. And DoxyCon listeners, forgive me. It's my first time on the on the podcast, and I'm chatty, so, you know. But not hey. last, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> It'll be great. We can talk some more. It'll be good. Well, thank you very much. Uh, this has been DoxyCast. DoxyCast.